0: Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. If you're physically able, will you stand with me right now in reverence for God's Word as we read it? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Thank you very much for standing. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Title of this message is the power of biblical thinking. The power of biblical thinking. You know, for everything that God does, Satan has a, a counterfeit or a substitute. One thing you can you can it might be helpful to, for you to remember about the Christian life is is that Satan has to work in a hurry because what is real is always preceded by an offering of the counterfeit. Uh, The counterfeit has to get to you first because if what's real gets to you, then you'll roundly reject the counterfeit. So my first and your first and initial thought and reaction to things is seldom God. It usually means we have to step back and just wait on him and let him confirm and let him speak and in the process of waiting on him to confirm and speak, he's changing me and you. And so my knee-jerk reaction to something is almost never God. Uh, We have to wait just a minute. And the counterfeit just lunges at you. If you're here and you want to be married one day, there'll be plenty plenty of counterfeit suitors probably that will come your way. If you're here and you're waiting for some kind of career opportunity or whatever, there'll be some counterfeits that come your way. If you're here and you're waiting on God for any variety of different things, there's going to be some counterfeits that precede that which is real. I've seen lots of people miss God by getting ahead of him, but I've never seen anybody miss God by waiting on him. If you wait on him, and he'll confirm, and he'll show you a direction. But you know what? The world even latched on to this principle, and that is that the way you think determines the way you act. Chad celebrated this just the other day when he was talking about the observation that Little Aiden made in the fall, and he said, "Dad, the reason that really the sin they committed when they did, ate of the tree in the garden was disbelief." He's exactly right about that because your actions do follow your belief. So if we think right, we'll act right, and the reverse is true. If we think wrong, we'll act wrong. The counterfeit version of that, though, for the world, is if you'll think positive thoughts, you'll have positive outcomes. the The real issue for the Christian is if you'll think biblical thoughts, you'll live a spirit-filled life. See, to think positive thoughts, to have positive outcome, exalts man. To think biblical thoughts with a spirit-filled outcome, exalts God. See, it's humanism run amok. It's even infiltrated the church. People slap Jesus' name onto that teaching and write books. They're runaway bestsellers. The power of positive thinking and the power of affirmation. Even this week, I noticed on the paper that uh, the Super Bowl guy, the uh, the quarterback uh, for uh, the Patriots' wife asked, that people would pray for her husband and think positive thoughts so they would win that ball game. That somehow or other these positive thoughts will enhance his performance and he'll do better and he'll do a better job and they'll get their bonus and he'll get all the accolades that last for just a little while of winning a silly little game. So... This power of positive thinking. But the the truth of the matter is, there's power in biblical thinking. The truth of the matter is, is meditation leads to transformation. But not just some mantra of belief that you just come up with and affirm thoughts, but thoughts that are biblical and come straight from the Word of God. And the Apostle Paul comes and he uses that word finally and says, Listen, let's sum it all up. If you're going to stand fast and stand firm in your relationship with the Lord as a partner in the gospel, you've got to think right. There are many voices that compete for our attention. If you today took a radio and put it in here and dialed that radio, it would go and check and tell us more about this because he's in the business of doing that. But that radio would tap into different signals. And those signals would would uh, catch on to the antenna and go through the radio. And we hear different channels. And we need to tap into and tune in to God's channel. Because we've got all these other competing voices competing for our attention. And the problem is, is we as Christians all too often listen to them. And the reason that we act the way we act is if we're putting garbage in. And if you put garbage in, I know enough about a computer to know, Phil, if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. The Bible says to guard your heart because out of it springs the issues of life. Parents, I want to say this to you in a word, a challenge for you and for me. Early on, we had our first child. The Lord spoke to my heart when God gave us Catherine, and He said, your responsibility is to guard her heart until she's able to. I'm the guardian of that heart until one day she's able to make those decisions. I guard it. So we better be careful. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father down above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes and ears, what you hear. It's a simple little song, but it's biblical truth through and through. It makes a difference what you put in, because what you put in is what you're going to get out. And the Word of God. You imagine the treasure that we have? Phil's mother and father were here yesterday, and we were talking about this yesterday with some men at our Roman study. Phil's mom and dad are here, and they were, they were here, and they were retired missionaries with Wycliffe Bible translators. And just out of curiosity, because I've always been enamored with that ministry and thought, man, I'd just love to somehow to be a part of seeing the Bible get translated into a language in which it doesn't currently exist. They were in Brazil, and they kept the camp there, and the translators would go out from that camp and, and, and translate God's Word. And I just asked them out of curiosity, I said, is there a tally on this, but do you know how many languages uh, are in the world right now in which there's not a copy of God's Word translated in a language? you know how many there are? Just that they know of over 2,000. 2,000 languages in the world that do not have a copy of God's Word. And I'll make a wager this morning that almost every household in here has at least one and maybe eight of them. And yet there are 2,000 different languages in this world in which the Bible hasn't been translated into. We have contempt for God's Word. We've got to quit that immediately. We've got to stop that right now. We love to read a Word. We love to read books about God's Book, but we don't read God's Book. You know, and as we begin to let it fill in our hearts, Jesus said this. This is how high Jesus is on truth. He said in John seventeen, seventeen, set them apart, sanctify them by the truth, thy word is truth. Proverbs twenty three says this as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The world would tell us it's what's on the outside that determines what you act like, but Jesus, who made us, says the opposite's true. It's what's on the inside of you that determines how you act. We want to blame the environment. That we've got political systems that are predicated upon blaming environment and the victim mentality, so we can assign blame to somebody else. We started in the Garden of Eden when Adam blamed God for his plight. He said, "The woman that you gave me caused me to sin." And we've been blaming everybody else ever since. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. Look at Mark. Turn left and let's go to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 7. And we'll look at verses 20 through 23. Jesus, who made us, who gets the final word on everything, and who should and does know what He's talking about, said this. It's not the externals that cause you the problems. Oh, forget that. No, 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 not at all. Look at chapter 7, verses 20 through 23 and he said whatever comes out of a man that defiles a man from within out of the heart of man proceed evil faults, adulteries fornication, murderers thefts, covetousness wickedness, deceit lewdness, an evil eye blasphemy, pride foolishness, all these things come from within and that is what defiles a man. Let's go back and look at our text. So I want you to look at two words in particular when you go back to Ephesians. Look at Ephesians and look at chapter 9. I'm at verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. And I saw Ephesians chapter excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Just turn 50. Just turn 50. Give me some qualifiers here. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And look what it says here. Look at the look at I want you to look at two words, two powerful words and in, in your versions you're going to see different renderings of this in the first one but look at the end of verse 8 and look what it says. If anything is praiseworthy meditate on these things. All right, and I circled that in my bible, meditate on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think in the NIV version, it says, think about such things. That word think, that word meditate, that does not mean, let me tell you, that word doesn't mean a, a, a glance. That word doesn't mean a cursory view of something. That word doesn't mean uh, light consideration. That word is an active word that means uh, careful thought out, intentional consideration. It means to muse. It means to invest in something. It means to latch on to it. It means to stay there. It means to let it go down into the depth of your heart. It means to, to, to consider it daily. But then, look at the Apostle Paul in verse 9, because we don't want these verses to be divorced from one another. It says, "...the things which you have heard..." Learn and received and heard and saw in me these do. So look at that word. It says meditate or think, and then you can and you can circle the other word, which I did in my Bible. And the other one is do. Think and do, not do and think. Think and do. All right. Now let's look at these verses and parse them out a little bit before we go into the Lord's supper. Are these? Uh, these virtues, these, these attributes it talks about in this verse. It says whatsoever things are true. Well, everything that follows from the word true is there because everything flows from the fact that God's word is true. The rest of the verse, the rest of the Words that are described in verse 8 all flow from different ways to look at the Scripture. The Scriptures are noble. The Scriptures talk about God's justice. The Scriptures are pure. The Scriptures are lovely. The Scriptures are a good report, a testimony regarding God's Son. The Scriptures are where we pivot from our praise. It's where we launch our praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So that's the starting place. We affirm the attributes of God as they're celebrated and revealed in the Scriptures. So everything flows from that one big word, and that word is true. It just means reality. We're in an age in which objective truth is promoted that it doesn't exist. Well, yes, it does. And it's the word of the living God. God's word is truth. Truth. Everything flows from there. The next word is noble. That means worthy of respect. It means heavenly. It means worthy of all adoration and praise. It means to think noble thoughts, lofty thoughts. Think Godward thoughts that came from God about God. Sometimes I like to look like like to think of it like this, Andrews. When we're reading the Bible, it's kind of God's way of taking uh, His nail scarred hand and gently putting it under our chin and just kind of nudging us upward to say, "Look at me, look at me, son, look at me, look at me." Don't look at your circumstances. Don't respond. Don't react. Act because you've seen and heard from me. Just it means righteous, and some of your Translations, it might say that. Righteous, which is conformity or harmony with the holy, righteous character and nature of God. Whatever is pure, it means whatever is holy and whatever is morally clean, that which is undefiled. It's a washing on the inside. It's, it's to scrub. It is to, uh, it's like taking soap and putting it in your mouth, but yet the soap goes into your heart. To cleanse it and think noble, good thoughts. Virtuous thoughts. The next word is lovely. That's the only place this, this particular word is used in the New Testament. It means sweet. It means gracious. It means generous. It means patient. It means kind thoughts. It means love. A guy I respect who's been in the ministry for many years, who I really consider a mentor of mine, one of the sweetest most godly spirit-filled men i've ever known and he said this to me once he said a christian has a never has an excuse to be unkind a christian never has an excuse to be unkind look at luke chapter 6 verses 35 and 36 you know where that kindness flows you know where that you know what the source of that kindness is god's kindness toward you and i it's not the example. Let me get, let's just. We need to get this. Jesus is not our example. He's our source. He's our source. There's a big difference. I'm not just trying to go around and grit my teeth and act like Jesus. I'm supposed to die and let Jesus live through me. But here's what it says. Look in verse 35 and 36 of chapter 6 of Luke. It says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Think kind thoughts. One of the, one of the one of the worst witnesses to the gospel is a rude Christian. The Bible says that love is not rude. The Bible says that love is patient. Love is kind. It's a benevolent, it's a lovely character. It's a grace that people carry who are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're just kind people. I've been with Christians before who mistreated the, wait- the waitress at the table and I want to crawl over the table. There's no excuse for that. I don't care how she acts. There's no excuse for that whatsoever. i tell you this right now. We're to be known as the kindest people on planet earth. We're to be known as the most gracious people, the most, the, the most benevolent, loving people on planet earth. Jesus said himself, if you love people who love you, whoop do. doo Pagans do that. Big deal. But when you love somebody who hates you and would like for you not to be around, that'll take me. Those Christian graces are what we are to be reveling on and thinking about, emulating based on the source of them, and it's Jesus Christ. We're to be promoting and believing them in front of our children and pouring in these good thoughts and dismissing the bad ones. A good report. Here again, this is the only place where this word is used in the New Testament. Just like the word lovely was lifted from a place that's only one here, there's only one place here. It means highly regarded or well thought of. It means really, to be honest with you, it means to attract the attention of others through selfless living. Nothing, nothing will turn the skeptic quicker in, in the life of a Christian when they see a Christian practice selfless living. It means that I'm going to t n two the spiritual benefit of others even when it demands something of me and it always will that's what agape means it means to give your life for the spiritual benefit of others, it means there are some things in church life that we're just not going to let upset us because we have a bigger calling and that's the gospel it means that Jesus is going to stand in front of Pilate and rather say, Pilate one more word out of your mouth and I'm going to knock you into tomorrow and it'll be like you never existed, he withheld those rights and he put them under the power of God, the meekest man who ever lived. Why? Because he was headed to the cross because he was redeemed every last one of us. Listen, he gets mad at Pilate and wipes them all out or goes to the cross. I pick the cross because that's why I'm going to heaven. I would be in hell if he didn't do it and so would you. We buy into the spirit of the age that says we've got rights and so we do it to assert our rights. We're so manby, pamby in the Christian life like, everybody's mad at us, and if they do anything that, that, that's hurtful toward Christians, then we ought to go out there and just get mad and start raging. What about loving people, turning the other cheek, and turning them their attention toward Jesus Christ who loved them first? Does it mean we concede rights that are legally ours? I don't mean that, but it means that there ought to be a grace about our living that people look at that and go, you know what? That guy had the right to get me back, and he didn't do it. Lee Strobel tells a story about when he had a, uh, a, a ill child, and he was not a Christian at the time. He was a cigar-smoking uh, reporter for the Chicago Tribune, a smart aleck. He knew everything, smarter than God. One of his daughters took ill. I'm talking about seriously ill, and things got progressively worse. He went to the hospital, and man, it just started getting worse at more of a rapid pace. It's kind of like going to the hospital, Greg, for for a, a, you know a tonsil problem, and then wake, winding up being you know, almost dead. Like when you went to the hospital, Ken, and we all walked in the emergency room. We're over there talking, high fiving, and you know. And then hours later, you're laying in a the coma. And they don't think you. Can, they don't know that you're gonna live. That's how it turned out for his daughter. And a guy who he used to work with called him up, who was a believer, and he said, "Can I just come and just spend some time with you? Hang out with you for a little while." What you don't know about that guy is, and this is what he said about him, he said, that guy should hate my guts because when we worked together, I was as mean and as nasty and as contentious toward him as I possibly could be and yet he never retaliated and now he's got his whole church praying for my daughter and he ought not even give me the time of day and he went up there and sat with him in the emergency room while his daughter's life weighed in the balance. God finally restored his daughter and saved him because he had a chance to see Jesus Christ rather than pettiness. In the one who claims to have been changed by him. It means selfless living. It's that one mind that is the theme of. Philippians he said have the same mind have the same mind have the same mind what is that mind that I'm going to put aside my rights for a greater calling I'm going to put aside and not assert my rights I'm going to humble myself before God I want to find out who Jesus is I'm going to let him have his way through my life and hopefully hopefully the people around me get to see him and not me man that's awesome isn't it Finally, brothers, whatever is true, the word of God is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Look at the grace here, boy! I love this. It's just the way God's word is so precise and so lovely. Let's go to Philippians. I got it right that time. Na 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 na. Nah. Philippians 4.8. Look little it right there at the end of it. It says, meditate on these things. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. It's been said before that Christians, and it was well said, are not saved by faith and works, but Christians are saved by a faith which does work. That's absolutely true. I wish I'd have said it. We've talked about this time and again. But belief precedes change. A change of belief results in a change of behavior, not the other way around. When you meditate, you wind up doing. If you stay there and let the Word of God camp down and enrich your soul and inform your spirit, you'll have the mind of Christ. By the way, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have the mind of Christ. We went from having the a, a pagan mind that God was had regret making to have in the mind of Christ. You know that? Genesis chapter 6, on the eve of judgment, what did God say about it? He said, I regret making man. Because why? His thoughts are continually evil. An unregenerate mind cannot have a holy thought. And... The carnal mind that still tries to possess you and control you can't have a godly thought either. The only mind that is informed that can operate on spiritual power is the new mind. And that mind is renewed every day through the washing of the water of the word. Here it is right here. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys eat Go to Stevie B's. We go. We go. We. Uh, some of us go attack Stevie B's every Sunday over there, <laughs> and they're making all kind of money off of us. They're to pay us commission, and we go over there to the pizza place and we fill up. You know, we go over there and we have a good time. We celebrate. Do you guys wait until next Sunday to eat again? How many do that? I'm, I, do you go over there? There's a the buffet. You can get as much as you want. Bottomless. And then you wait on the next Sunday to go eat again. Hmm. 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 There's some of you in here that do that with God's word. Just a thought. The Apostle Paul said, You didn't just hear things from me, you received what you heard, but you also saw it in me, and these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Faith without works is dead. Works are not the basis of faith, they're the evidence of it. We're saved by grace through faith. Period, that not of works lest any man should boast, but there ought to be worse that give evidence of it. And where does that start? It starts with mind renewal. It starts with the power of biblical thinking. It starts with a biblically informed mind. If you want to know the mind of Christ, you have it. Here it is right here. And you have the capacity to understand it. Take the passages you don't understand yet, keep reading through those and wait on it. He'll give you understanding later and then fool with the ones you do understand. And if you start obeying the ones you do understand, He'll give illumination to the ones you don't yet understand. He will do that. He wants you to know worse than you want to know. Belief precedes change. Jesus Christ, the living God, the living Word. The Bible says the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. The, 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 the Son of God Himself, the living God. You know the account three times. Three of the four Gospels contain the temptation account. And all three times, and you remember the response, all three, all three temptations were met with what? Three of the most powerful words in the English language. It is written. See, when there's a power play on a Christian, and you've been feeding yourself with the Word of God, and you get squeezed, whatever you've been putting in is going to come out. You squeeze a lemon... Out comes lemonade. You squeeze an orange, outcomes orange juice. You squeeze an apple, outcomes comes apple juice. You squeeze a spirit-filled Christian, out comes the Word of God. You squeeze a defeated Christian. You squeeze a distant Christian. You quick into a but don't bother with Elmer Fudd is here, and you squeeze a you squeeze a, a distant cold, indifferent Christian, a lackluster, lukewarm Christian and what do you get? But normally nothing but complaint, gripe, fuss and carnal reasoning and that's it! Can I say something to you right now? Somebody in here I felt impressed to say this. Somebody in here is seeking counsel from God's word and somebody in here is seeking direction. I want you to know something. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If somebody gives you counsel and it does not involve faith, it is not from God. If somebody gives you counsel and it does not involve faith, mark it down, it is not from God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by well-intended people who love you and are pure in their love for you will surround you when decision time comes and they will give you nothing but human wisdom and human reasoning and that will be your temptation to follow along with it. You dismiss that. Throw that out the window and go with what God said. It's part of being tested as a Christian. You put garbage in, you'll get garbage out. I'm going to close with this example and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Finally, brothers, whatever is true God's Word, whatever is noble, lofty thoughts that are worthy of respect, Godward thoughts that came from God. I can think Godward thoughts because I've got God's thoughts that came to me. And I can pray them back to Him. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think and dwell, meditate on such things. If you do that, and you begin to let the Word of God sink into your heart then you will begin to act and do the word of God but it starts with right thinking it starts with a biblically informed spirit it's the power of biblical thinking it's transformative it is guaranteed and it is liberty because you'll be at peace Oh my goodness, how many people want peace? Look what the promise is. And the God of peace will be with you. It doesn't mean He comes to dwell with you. It means that you walk in such peace, you will recognize His dwelling. You can see with the hymn writer that we celebrated many times. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Amen? You walk with the awareness. It's practicing the presence of God, to borrow from a book term. It is to say, Jesus is with me. We commune every day. He's not distant or far removed. I've talked to Him. My testimony is not what He did when I was 13. Only my testimony is what He did in the last 13 minutes. He's working throughout this fellowship. And what does the devil want you to do? He wants you to think this way and look this way and have this kind of perspective. He doesn't want you to have a God orientation. So if you don't have a God orientation, he's working all around you and you will not be able to see it. I close with this example, true story. There's a lady, she's in heaven now and she's a dear friend of mine, mother. And over the course of years, and I'm talking about years, we're talking about 25 or 30 years. 25 years. Through this friend, his elderly mother, and she was elderly back then. She lived way up there in years. And because of my relationship with this friend, this mother regarded me as her pastor even though I wasn't. And so she got to the hospital. It was me they called, and I was over at the hospital. I was glad because, I mean, she's my friend. Oh, she's the sweetest lady. I miss her so much. She's one of the sweetest ladies that ever walked on the face of this earth. But she was a worry wart. She'd get nervous when she didn't have something to worry about. Sit around and think, what can we worry about? I don't have anything to worry about. Let's see if I can come up with something. And of course, life usually gives you a lot of excuses to do that. But over the course of the years I have knew her, she'd wind up in the hospital because she had all kind of chronic illnesses. She should have been dead before I ever got to know her. It's just been one list after the other, hospital stays and what and you go in there and see her and she'd just go, Hey, oh hey sweetie, and she'd smile and make you feel like a million bucks. She's just always so sweet. And what they tell you you got congestive heart failure and you got two weeks to live, oh you know, just and just be still be sweet, no, no nonetheless. But over time life got to really weighing heavy on her. I'm talking about really weighing heavy. she lived in a mobile home, not near from here, not far from here. And she stayed in that mobile home pretty much all day long. Kind of a shut in situation. I'd go by and see her and check on her, but boy, she got really bad, really bad this one particular time, and she landed in the hospital, and there she was over at Kennestone Hospital, and I found out, of course, about her being there, and I went over to see her, and they were that close, that close to committing her to a mental hospital, that close, and what had happened was that she had sat around the mobile home and watched television and watched the news to the point. Where she was just so anxious and nervous about everything that was going on and wrenching hands and started fretting. And oh, I just can't. And I went in there and she was shaking. And she said, Brother Lindsay, I just can't stand. Look, look. And there it was up on the television. I just can't. And she started shaking and totally acting uncharacteristic of herself and just a nervous wreck. I mean, a nervous wreck. So what's the next step? They tell the family. So well, there's no hope right now. She can't be out on her own. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pack her up and we're going to send her to the uh, mental unit at Emory University. And from there, we don't know where she'll go, but it'll be some committed state somewhere. This is what she's informed. And so her and the nervousness just goes on and nervousness. And finally, I just I just felt like I had a direction from the Lord, and I went over there. Her name was Hattie. I said, Miss Hattie. And I whatever, and I turned off. I said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to turn off this television. So whenever I turn off the television, and I said, the next thing we're going to do is, is, I suspect in that drawer out there is a Gideon Bible. And sure enough, there was. And we got out the book of Philippians. And I said, and, and I grabbed her by the face, just kind of like grabbing somebody by the face mask when you're in football. I just grabbed her by her sweet little face. I said, Miss Maddie, let me tell you something right now. The Bible says anxiety in the heart causes depression. And the anxiety comes from not fearing God. If you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. If you fear God, you'll fear nothing else. And I said, and so we're going to take God's Word, and this is the book of Philippians. It's a book of pure joy. Matter of fact, the, book, the, joy, the word joy is mentioned 19 times in here. And we're going to get back the joy. And we're going to fill our spirit with the Word of God. And I'm going to sit here and read it to you, and you're going to follow up and read it to you, and you're going to feel it. You're going to we're going to think on the things that are noble and are right and are pure and are lovely and are excellent and are praiseworthy. And we're going to turn off that television and we're going to throw it where it belongs into the dumpster, and we're not going to listen to that mess anymore. And we're going to be informed by the Scriptures of the glory of our great God. And so we started celebrating. God started getting giddy and excited about Jesus and what He was doing in her life and what He had to say to her. And I said, "This is a love letter. This is Jesus speaking." sweet somethings into your ear, not sweet nothings. And I said, so let's listen to him and hear what he's got to say. And so we get gathered up and we just gather around God's word. She got back her right mind almost immediately. And they did never send her to Emory University. They sent her back home. And she stayed back home and lived and then ultimately wound up living with her family when she could no longer live by herself and lived another 15 or 20 years after that. And went to heaven, confident that because the tomb was empty, she was okay. There's an empty bed at the mental ward somewhere. Because God said, no, that ain't going to happen to one of my children. Let me tell you this. You feed on God's word. Feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Draw from Him. Sucker from His breast. Drink what He's got for you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about whether or not it's got anything to cause cancer. It's not going to mess with you. You can graze over here. You know, you can graze here all you want. You don't have to worry about it. There's nothing in there. It's going. They're going to come up with one day and say, this is going to kill you. This is going to this is gonna heal you. It's going to soothe you. I'm not talking about physical healing. It's going to heal you spiritually. And you'll delight in Him. And then you'll have a bright perspective on your circumstances. And they won't overwhelm you anymore. You won't be a victim. You'll live in them. But, oh, dear friend, you'll live above them. And you'll fly at a higher level because God wants to speak sweet somethings into your ear. Oh, dear one, if there are 2,000 languages on planet Earth that do not have one copy of God's translated word, what in the world should we do but repent? What should we do but repent?